0: Welcome to this episode of Planting Seed. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious. And give you peace. In today's episode, we'll be looking at a passage of scripture from Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. This is a uh, section of scripture that falls in the middle of the verses that we covered in the last episode, and I thought it would be good to go back and, and uh, look at these in a little more depth. Now, if you heard last week's episode you remember us talking about uh, very briefly jesus cleansing the temple and how that happened uh, between his interactions with uh, with the fig tree but i want us to go back and look specifically at those verses and, and see the things that we might be able to learn from them so let's go to mark chapter 11 beginning in verse 15. and they came to jerusalem And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all of the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. See, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem and going to the temple and making a very bold statement. He's letting the Jewish people know that, that they are using this space and their time in bad ways, in ways that weren't intended. The the temple was the crown jewel of Jerusalem, and and many Jewish people uh, took great pride in in it standing there. Uh, They saw it as a sign that God had bestowed favor on them and that God was in their presence. But when Jesus goes in, he sees that these Jews were, using the temple for their purposes, and not allowing God to use it for his. And, and so he goes back to Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah says that my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. And this was a place that was supposed to draw all nations together so that they could approach God. But that's not what was happening. These Jewish people were using it for their own purposes. And, and uh, Jesus then quotes Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11 and says you've made it into a den of robbers. Instead of giving to the nations, giving access to God for the nations, you're using this as a space to take things for yourself. They were using the temple for their purposes, not allowing God to use it for his. I think uh, when we look at that maybe we could uh, draw some conclusions about um, our own approach to worship, when we enter a space, whether it's our personal worship or corporate worship, uh, when we're together with a church, do we understand the point Jesus may well have been making here? That the time and place that we choose to approach God should be free of contamination. We shouldn't be letting the things of the world and, and our own selfish desires cloud what worship really is a time to honor God for who he is, a time to connect to that God, a time to be empowered by that God, to go about our daily lives and make it through the world that we live in and be rescued from it. See, I think we're often more like these people who were upset with the cleansing of the temple. We we want to silence the things and the people that challenge us. Uh, but Jesus gets our attention, often when we don't want him to. When that happens, sometimes we get defensive and we diminish uh, the message that's coming to us. But we need to uh, make sure that we, like these people, understand that it upsets Jesus for us not to take worship seriously, for us to make worship about us rather than about God. Because Jesus created such an uproar, there was a, a discussion about Uh, his authority to do these kinds of things. And if we go back to the text in Mark 11 and pick up in verse 27, we see uh, a little bit of discussion about that. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to them, why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for... They all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This was a direct challenge to the authority of Jesus. How dare he come in and and disrupt temple activity? What authority did he have to do that? They knew they hadn't given it to him. So where did it come from? And so Jesus responds by asking about the authority of John the Baptist. Where did that authority come from? They didn't want to say from God because they hadn't put a lot of stock in what John said. And if it was from God, they indicted themselves. But they didn't want to say from man because so many people were absolutely convinced that it was of God. So Jesus speaks about his authority and challenges people to accept whether or not he has actually been sent from God or if they're going to make excuses to explain him away. Another reason why John the Baptist was brought up here is because John the Baptist was one of the first witnesses of Jesus and who he was. If these people say that the baptism of John the Baptist came from God, then the the other things that he revealed would have come from God and they would have had to acknowledge that Jesus's mission, that his authority was from God himself. It had been uh, testified to by John the Baptist. It had been confirmed by God. Uh, the The work he was doing uh, testified to who he was. This was something that was from God, but the people that are confronting him, these religious leaders didn't want to acknowledge that because it would have diminished their own authority and caused them to make changes in their lives. They would have had to adjust it to what Jesus was saying rather than to continually try to get Jesus to do what they wanted. See, authority coming from God makes it absolute. And so if Jesus did come from God, and we absolutely believe that and affirm that, then we have to uphold that standard. We have to take his teaching and his mission and his authority as absolute. And so Jesus challenges his disciples throughout scripture to embrace his authority and make it known to others, right? You think about John 13, verse 35, they'll know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another, right? Jesus challenges us to accept his authority and, and show that authority to others through the way we love one another. He tells us in other places, you will know them by their works. Or Matthew 7, verse 16, by your fruits, you will know them, right? It's the way that we respond to the authority of Christ that lets others know that we belong to Christ. Jesus teaches us a lot about acting within his authority, teaching with his authority. And, and, One of the things that is very plain from scripture is that behavior that's not under God's authority are things like hatred and complaining and gossiping and laziness, holding grudges, being judgmental, pride, arrogance. These things, uh, we don't have Jesus's permission in any way to participate in those things. We don't have his authority to act on his behalf with those attitudes and with those behaviors. See, they don't further his purposes. Uh, To live in the authority of Jesus, to respond to the authority of Jesus, to acknowledge it. We have to realize that uh, we have a purpose, and that purpose is to further his purposes, right? What we have is the authority of Christ to speak the truth in love, to be humble, to be caring, to be kind, forgiving, and patient. Christ said he wanted authority over everything that we do and say. Paul tells us this over and over again in his writings, uh, a few places that he brings it out. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? Paul says, Everything you do, whether it's what you're saying or or the actions that you're involved in, all of those things have to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord? Well, when we look at that Greek phrase and understand how it was used, what is being uh, talked about here is furthering those purposes, uh, supporting or or reinforcing uh, the authority of Jesus. Right? And, and so when we speak for Christ, uh, we have a responsibility to, for our whole lives to, to embody those things and, and to be representative of those things so that they have the authority of Christ in them. Later on in that same chapter, uh, Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men. See, all of the things we're doing in our life as Christians, we should be doing for Jesus, not for other people, and certainly not for ourselves. This was what the people in the temple were guilty of. They had come to the house of prayer and made it a den of thieves. Instead of bringing people to the mercy and grace of God, they were taking from the people things for their own benefit. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? Jesus wants to have absolute authority over our lives. That's what it means for him to be Lord. We discussed that in a previous episode. Uh, but here, this particular passage uh, says everything we do, everything should be for God's glory. I'm fond of uh, saying in in my uh, church congregation that uh, even if we're brushing our teeth, we should do it for the glory of God. And every once in a while, I'll get a little pushback there. How in the world can you brush your teeth for God? What we need to understand is very often we don't have to change behaviors because so many of us have gotten rid of bad behaviors uh, as our response to the Grace of God, we try not to do a lot of bad things, but maybe we don't give the things we do that aren't bad the the force of God's glory. How then do we brush our teeth for the glory of God? Well, if I'm brushing my teeth so that I have a nice white smile and when uh, when I smile at people, they notice me and they think I'm attractive, and those are all wrong purposes. Those are selfish. But if I'm making sure that I have good dental hygiene so that when I get a chance to speak face-to-face to to someone who doesn't know about Jesus, and, and they're not put off by my hygiene, I actually get to have this conversation with them. There's nothing distracting them, and I'm making sure that I keep my teeth brushed so that I can have those encounters. See, now I'm doing that for God. It's not that I quit brushing my teeth. It's not that brushing my teeth isn't important. It's that when I do it, I'm making sure I'm doing it for God, and not for my own selfish purposes. See, too much of our discussion about Jesus is designed to make us feel better about our current condition and to excuse our sin. We're not always interested in how what we're doing furthers the cause of Christ. We're more interested in getting Christ to be okay with what we're doing, whether it helps his cause or not. Jesus certainly loves us. He loves us so deeply that he accepts us in whatever condition we're in, and he justifies us. But do we ever think about that, meditate on that, and ask the question, why? For what purpose? I think we're tempted when we first think about that is to think about it in selfish terms. You know, Jesus came to save me so that when I die, I can go to heaven. But what scripture actually tells us is that you were rescued for a purpose. You were cleaned up for a purpose. And that purpose is so that Jesus can use you for his purposes, right? Before you were cleaned, before you were rescued and cleaned up, you weren't suitable for kingdom business. But he comes in and he takes us, he cleans us up, he makes us a better version of, of ourselves, and says, now I'll use you. Now I can use you. Doesn't mean that there aren't cracks in there. Doesn't mean that there aren't faults and weaknesses, but it's not so mired in the in dirtiness of sin that it's unuseful or unproductive. Jesus cleans us up and rescues us so that we can be effective in accomplishing his purposes. We're told if we're faithful to that, we're certainly rewarded. But we're not cleaned up just for us. We're cleaned up so that we can be used in the kingdom. If you think about it, when you read through Scripture, every time there's a discussion about the ways that we've been blessed by God, what we're told is all of those blessings are to be used for God's purposes. Certainly, we receive benefits from them. But the most benefit is derived from them when we use them for their intended purpose, uh, to further the kingdom of God. And Jesus calls us to this purpose because he knows we're able to handle it. I, I a little amused sometimes that when people are, are caught up in bad behaviors or they accidentally do things that aren't uh, uh, the way that God would have them do, uh, their excuse is, well, I'm only human. What we hear in scripture is that because we're human, we're able to overcome those things. Paul himself told a young man named Timothy, you've been given a spirit of power and love and self-control. You can control yourself. Labrador retrievers have a harder time, right? You put food on the ground, they're going to eat it. You put a whole bag of food there, they're going to try their best to eat the whole bag because they don't always know when to stop eating. They see food they think they're supposed to eat and that they have a hard time uh, with impulse control. But because we're human beings, we can control ourselves. We don't have to give in to every temptation. We don't have to give in to every strong desire that we have. What we can do is choose in any situation to further the cause of Christ by doing the things he would have us do. This is certainly accomplished by the power of the Spirit in our lives but it can be accomplished. Jesus cleans us up for that purpose. So you see, where we are at this point is not very different than than what Jesus was doing the week before he was crucified. When he went into that temple and cleansed it, it was to make it more suitable for worship for God. What Jesus does in our lives is cleans us up so that we're more suitable for worship and service to God. We're called in scripture, temples of God that house the Holy Spirit. Jesus still cleanses temples. Are we willing to let him cleanse us and allow our bodies to be used for God's purposes so that the cause of Christ is furthered, so that the service to God is accomplished? Are we going to be part of that kingdom movement or are we going to sit on the sidelines? Jesus still cleanses temples. Let him clean us so that we can better be used by God. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.